Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra. I come to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the inland Pacific Northwest of the magnificent USA. Today is the 13th of May, 2021. I've been talking to you about toll-like receptors, which are a subclass of pattern recognition receptors, which are classified as membrane-associated proteins that recognize specific pathogen-associated molecular patterns and danger-associated molecular patterns linked to the immune system and to stress phenomenon in uh, the host, the host in this case of talking about the human. So I gave you a roadmap of sorts of where I was leading to in the last several lectures, and I bring it up one more time before we get into today's, and that is uh, I have a theory that the immune system sculpts the central nervous system. And because the central nervous system is associated intimately with all aspects of the immune system throughout its generation, both in utero and then postparturition, and then through adolescence, and then young adulthood, old adulthood, and then finally into the later stages of life, higher levels of morbidity, and then finally mortality of the human, uh, that all of this is linked to the normal aging pattern. So you have a genetic predisposition, you have an immune system, you have the environment, both internal and external, which can involve stress, and of course also nutrition, um, and other aspects of how the body learns and the brain develops. All of that then links intimately to the immune system. And what you need to be able to carry out molecular functions to be able to translate biophysical phenomenon, biochemical phenomenon into behavioral patterns and presentations is obviously some kind of generative process that would utilize patterns. And because of the three-dimensionality of all uh, biochemical structures, you have patterns in all of those structures. And you know the classical uh, paradigm in biochemistry is structure begets function. Now, I've talked about caveats to that, and there are several, but in terms of the phenomenon in the cell, the biochemistry in the cell and the physiology, it's a pretty good handle on how to understand the underlying firmament and therefore the architectonic of living systems. So the theory is that the immune system ages along with the organism, and because it ages, it starts making errors, and those errors can be embedded within some of the lineages, particularly lymphocytic lineages, that became memory cells earlier in the life cycle of the individual. <clears throat> These memory cells, if they are activated erroneously, you can generate either a hyperimmune response and therefore a hyperinflammatory response, or even a hypoimmune response, hypoimmune response, thus not functioning to be able to surveil, to carry out the function naturally occurring for the immune system, which is to ward off pathogens or stress phenomena. And that the morbidities that show up because of the vagaries of living, which includes reactive oxygen, reactive nitrogen species, telomere shortening, and aspects of cell division and mutations occurring within that framework over time. And then the stress phenomenon that can alter 
via mutation and epimutation and epigenetic alteration, the expression of genes and the um, fidelity of the structure of that gene, therefore the transcript, therefore the protein, and there goes pathway modification and regulation. This is all an aspect of the funneling response that ultimately leads to multiple morbidities, such as cardiovascular disease and cancer being the two leading causes ultimately of human death. Autoimmune diseases also are very prominent there and often arise in the occult, meaning that they're often hidden behind other um, paywalls of disease that are more recognized by the medical community. But the autoimmune system ultimately does have tremendously negative effects in terms of neurodegeneration, particularly the central nervous system. And of course, these are the diseases that many people are concerned about in, as they age. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, number one, Parkinson's disease, right up there as well, and also prefrontal dementia. So I started talking about the immune system way back in the fall. In fact, I've been talking about it for years, of course, because I used to teach a course in immunology, graduate level. But I wanted to emphasize most recently how the immune system goes awry in the aging human. And we've given you multiple examples of that. And so we've been talking about toll-like receptors because they are part of the innate immune response, often overlooked because T and B lymphocytes um, tend to be those aspects of the acquired immune system that are most often uh, adjudicated as causing profound hyperinflammation and therefore can cause high levels of morbidity and even mortality, particularly in the aging. Or the adverse of that, of course, is when the B and T cell moieties are no longer naive, they cannot be uh, utilized to form new TCRs and new B cell receptors and therefore deal with uh, either um, releasing the control over autoantigen induction of T memory cells because of lack of fidelity of those cells integrity or the onset of new pathogens or new variants of pathogens which are either ill-recognized or non-recognized, therefore leading to common diseases like bacterial pneumonia, which can also kill people, particularly when they're elderly. Okay, so that was a long introduction, but I, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I'm not just lecturing you about toll-like receptors and bacterial cell walls, bacterial membranes, and induction of the innate immune response and phagocytosis and the regulation therein for in terms of um, dealing with pathogens and stress phenomena. I'm leading all this into the aging lecture. It's all being poured into that as one huge firmament, okay? All right, so today's lecture then, ultimately, <laughs> finally got here. <clears throat> We're talking about toll-like receptors, as you re recall, hopefully. Now, I want you to remember that there are what we call domains in proteins. Toll-like receptors are no exception. So rather than thinking about proteins as having simply the sequence of amino acids from the amino terminus to the carboxy terminus, <clears throat> and that sequence, of course, is going to trans, that's the primary structure, is going to translate into a secondary structure such as beta pleated sheets and alpha helices and reverse turns, and that will ultimately lead to a 
a discussion of three-dimensional structures, which are the R groups for all the amino acids, thus giving the globular protein structure and all of the catalytic events if it's an enzyme, for example, or all of the interactions that proteins have that are either covalent or non-covalent, including hydrophobic, uh, either with the bulk um, solution water or with the uh, lipid matrix within membranes or associated with membranes. All of that then, ultimately, if you have more than uh, one monomer of protein, you start getting into quaternary structure, right? Where you have multimers of protein. So we talked about uh, heterotetramers, for example, the T-cell receptor um, being a profoundly necessary for the T-cell receptor to fire. We also have polymerization of some enzymes, such as the acetylchloric carboxylase, induced by citric acid in the cytosol, which then uh, amplifies the activity of that carboxylase, which of course I'm rather fond of because that's been triggers the synthesis of melanocoa, which can then move into fatty acid synthesis, something I covered in a video lecture very recently, if you were uh, lucky enough to watch it. It was uh, in my video feed, I think just last week. So <clears throat> you have binding domains and, and toll-like receptors have um, this tier domain which is the toll one receptor domain. And it was characterized initially because it has homology with intracellular regions of, this is very important, the mammalian interleukin one receptor. So all the cytokines have their own receptors, but sometimes it's crosstalk. <clears throat> this was also discovered in Drosophila <clears throat> protein, which is originally called toll. So, after that, six toll-like receptors, TLRs, were identified in Drosophila, and more than 20 of these TLRs and interleukin-1 receptors ultimately began to become recognized in humans. Some of these uh, receptors require adapter proteins, and those contain tier domains, and they have also been described uh, at the biochemical and biophysical level in human systems. Now, the domain itself, the tier domain, usually has three specific discrete subdomains or boxes. And these are conserved residues, and they're set into a core sequence, ranging in size or a dimension of about 130 to 160 amino acids in sequence. You also have these intervening residues, and they can vary, of course, according to sequence conservation between or among domains, but those intervening residues only have about 20, 30% homology, depending on where these tiers are located, these tier domains are located. But that does provide for you two interfaces, which are responsible then for mediating the tier domain interaction. And those include, of course, what's really important here, the receptor adapter oligomerization, and there's an association uh, between those receptors and adapters that allow the formation to obtain and process. So you've got TLRs and ILIR signaling. And all of that, as you know now from multiple lectures, are key components of the innate immune response. And primarily the pathogens we most often talk about here are bacterial and fungal. And this has been described again all the way from fruit fly to man. So this is well described in animal systems. Now we don't have this kind of system in plants or in microorganisms. So remember that the entire immune system is 
the, the, at least the one I'm describing, the very complex immune system, is um, definitely a component of animal systems and not of other life forms. So the tier domain interactions between receptors and adapters in, in, in this system, in, in these, in these uh, innate immune cells, um, and also in epithelial cells and endothelial cells and all kinds of other cells that have TLRs are very common. Remember, they're on the cell surface, but they're also endocytic associated with phagolysosomes. Um, these tier domain interactions are going, and with the adapter molecules, are going to play a really important role in signal transduction cascades, which are going to lead to uh, the ultimate sequelae as a response to such things as induction with a bacterial lipopolysaccharide or any or a fungal or even a viral pathogen and these interactions are going to include the production of cytokines and growth factors as i've been saying for a long time <clears throat> so you have homotypic and heterotypic interactions and they mediate then globally the presentation known as uh, receptor signaling the activation of this whole process uh, the readout of it typically uh, that is very common with all the TLRs and their adapters is and the cytokine NF-kappa B. And of course, NF-kappa B results in lymphocytic activation. So lymphocytes now, we're getting to the acquired immune response. <clears throat> so that includes both TCR and the immunoglobulin isotype switching that we talked about in terms of recombination events. And then, therefore, the expression of cytokines in the receptors becomes really important from the innate immune system flipping into the acquired immune system. That's why the toll-like receptors are so significant. So you have a crystal structure of tier domains from the human TLR1 and TLR2 that have been well described as of about 2019-2020 in the literature. And they reveal a central five-stranded here we go, secondary structure, folks. Parallel beta pleated sheet, surrounded by a total of five helices, mostly healthy helices, some reverse turns in there, that occur on both sides of those pleated sheets. So you have conserved residues that are also located around this hydrophobic core that you find. And there are large, depending on the particular tier domains and the receptors they're found in, and looking now at the genetic level, rather large insertions or deletions. And these then will present as various loop, helix loop regions in different tier TIR domains, rheumatolic receptor domains. So you have a BB loop, and that contains three highly conserved residues. And what protrudes from them is a large conserved, what's known as a surface patch. And that probably mediates hetero dimeric interactions with the tier domain containing adapter proteins. Now, I'm giving you some of this protein chemistry here because, I again, this is authentic biochemistry. I'm not going to leave you in the dark and have you think that none of this stuff matters. All of these microstructures and these interactions are how the system actually functions. So we can't just be talking about, you know, cytokine storms or TLR activation or even even a larger scale, such things as dendritic cell, acting as an antigen-presenting cell, activating the T cell with MHC1 or MHC2 class receptors, either inducing, uh, with MHC1 inducing the 
CD8 positive naive cells or with MHC2 holding antigen interacting with um, the uh, CD4 positive T cells, ultimately leading to that whole plenum, uh, florid plenum of all the T cells from both of those lineages, right? That That's something we need to understand. But to even get close to that, we have to understand all of this protein-protein interaction and, of course, lipid protein and carbohydrate protein and lipid-lipid interaction that's happening in the cell that allows for this whole complex to function, right? So you need to get down to the level of protein domains and lipid domains and microdomains and lipid rafts to get the full appreciation respective of the immune response and what I'm trying to tell you about the aging process, okay? So hopefully that is getting embedded in you very well, just like lock and key with a substrate to its enzyme, right? Or a ligand to its receptor for that matter. So remember we talked about some of these different ligands binding to these different receptors. TLR9, for example, recognizes CPG DNA, lipopolysaccharides on the TLR4. Um, TLR8 recognizes uh, RNA from viruses. Uh, and the tier domains are are coupled in these TLRs, but then they drive the signal transduction cascade through a protein called mid-88, which then turns on a kinase called IRAC, which then works with a TRAP6 adapter protein, ultimately causing the production of NF-kappa-B, and then NF-kappa-B acting as a transcription factor, controlling the production of potentially the pro-inflammatory cytokine synthesis and secretion then becoming uh, a, a global event, still all at the level of toll-like receptors and in uh, either the manufacturer coming from uh, innate immune cells or coming from endothelial or epithelial cells, right? triggering a response. What kind of response? An immune response. So remember, the toll-like receptors belong to the PRR class, the pattern recognition receptors, and they're all when we talk about that, that's innate immunity. So let's now lead into a common uh, CNS disorder in aging. Let's talk about Parkinson's disease. So during Parkinson's disease uh, onset, you get an activation of an immune response in the CNS. And Along with that, though, there is also immune responses in the periphery. And I've mentioned this before. So inflammatory responses in parts of the body that are not even close or proximal to the central nervous system will generate a homeostatic inflammatory response, which will be recognized in the central nervous system, which, of course, has to deal with all stress phenomena, right? And so many of these factors can move through the blood-brain barrier or send signals which are secondary or tertiary to the initial inflammatory response or the initial um, innate or acquired immune cell lineage. Ultimately, though, it has to be communicated to the central nervous system. So Parkinson's disease is associated with immune responses in the CNS sense stricto, but also to immune vagaries and potential inflammatory encampments throughout the periphery. And that's the point I'm making to you, right? So what, what connects this at one level, and there are many levels, are these toll-like receptors. Because 
they're established as being a component of the inflammatory response. And in fact, the CNS resonant toll-like receptors and microglia have been directly linked to neurodegeneration, including that associated with Parkinson's disease. So the link between inflammation-mediated TLR activation and then one step back, TLR expression, and the whole turning on of Parkinson's pathogenesis actually has been pretty well studied. And what the evidence suggests is that there, when you get a presence of alpha-synuclein positive inclusions, I remember alpha-synuclein is one of the proteins that is associated with Parkinson's, just like A-beta and the tau protein are linked to Alzheimer's. So in Parkinson's, we talk about alpha-synuclein as a major protein player, hence a proteinopathy, hence an induction of the immune response. It appears that alpha-synuclein positive inclusions actually activate resident microglia, much like we were talking before about the A-beta microglia in Alzheimer's, okay? And so then the microglia activate neuronal TLRs. So then that induces downstream the potential for and the potentiation of neurodegeneration. So this is an inflammatory microenvironment now, and it is prodromal too, and then after that, le- dealing with the onset and the full florid etiology of Parkinson's pathologies. Okay? So I want you to understand that toll-like receptors, particularly TLR2 and 4, play very significant roles in Parkinson's. And again, I'm bringing this up. I'm pulling this right back in, these strands, because I'm talking about aging. I'm talking about the diseases of the aging. And so you want to understand how does Parkinson's erupt? Now I'm giving you a different um, parallax. I'm giving you a different shining the light on a specific surface and allowing you to turn that thing in three dimensions. And then with time, understand all four dimensions are playing around because these are event ontologies. The TOLAC receptors are really significant here in prodromal Parkinson's disease. Therefore, the earlier stages, pre-prodromal stages of Parkinson's, those TOLAC receptors must have been either quiescent or functioning on the health side of the axis. You understand? So we have to understand what happens at that crossover point, and we have to determine if the aging process, that is the consecutive sequential years going by, or if if that leads to this corruption of toll-like receptors leading to a disease like Parkinson's in the elderly, more commonly than in younger people, or if indeed that it's not that the aging process, right, the, the hayflick limit, the number of cell divisions leading to it, but in fact that this process itself is what aging is. And the aging is just another salience of the whole corruption of the immune system as one ages. The immune system that worked fine for, you know, uh, 70 years and then starts to become more and more corrupted for the reasons we've been talking about. Reactive oxygen, the lack of quenching those reactive oxygen species with things like glutathione and NADPH and ascorbic acid and tocopherol. We talk a lot about that, right? Uh, but that that's only one minor component. It's also the fact that you have this entire residence pathway that is always functioned 
at full top form, that's the immune system. Not just in the CNS where then you get this florid disease, but throughout the periphery as well. So it's no surprise to a pathobiochemical approach that I'm trying to give you here that any minor malfunction at a genetic mutation level, an epigenetic phenomenon, a corruption of an epistatic interaction, and then this whole tremendous effect of the epigenome being constantly retailored through space-time in the human will lead to those early stages of morbidity and mortality and ultimately then um, help explain the aging phenomenon in humans. So I want you to go back and think about the central nervous system now, and then we'll close for today. And I want you to think about the, the whole arousal system in the brain, because the arousal system, which has been well described in the rodent model, but also reasonably studied because of studies of addiction in humans, explains something about how the brain functions with um, a non pathogen associated stress phenomenon, which also includes, because it's arousal, um, affective arousal, that is emotional, as well as intellectual arousal, which comes from the prefrontal cortex and involves things like learning and the apprehension of knowledge. All these things fundamentally significant, health, healthy, and normal for the central nervous system. So let's let's do a deep dive now back into this whole system, which I've given you before. Now, major input to the relay and reticular nuclei of the thalamus actually originates from cholinergic cell groups. And you find those in the upper ponds. And you also find them in what's known as the peduncle pontine or the PPT, and then the lateral dorsal tegmental nuclei, or the LDT. This is all associated around the thalamus, remember, okay? Now, all these inputs will facilitate what's known as a thalamocortical transmission, which is part of the arousal pathway. Now, a second pathway activates, at the same time, the cerebral cortex, and it facilitates the processing of inputs from the thalamus. This arises from neurons in the monoaminergic cell groups, including the tubular mammillary nucleus, or the TMN, and that contains histamine, and the A10 cell group, which contains the dopaminergic circuits. The dorsal and the median rafe nuclei, therefore, following along, contain the 5-hydroxytryptamine, or serotonin, circuit and the locus coriolis containing, of course, the noradrenaline pathway. So this pathway in combination also receives contributions from what I call the peptidergic, peptidinergic neurons in the lateral hypothalamus, and those contain things like the orexin and the melanin concentrating hormone, the MCH pathway. And this is coming from the basal forebrain neurons that contain, of course, the GABA circuit, okay, that gamma immunobutyric acid circuit. I know that's quite a lot to say all at one time, but I want to put you back when we were talking about neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, because we need to understand this when we're bringing back in the TLRs, all right? We need to have this in mind. So real quickly now, then we'll end. 
Toll-like receptors enable innate immune cells to respond to pathogen and host-derived uh, molecules or patterns. CNS exhibits its TLRs with a predominant expression in the microglia, of course, because those are resident immune cells. And, and these are indeed the major immune cells, but you also have a contribution of circulating TMB lymphocytes, particularly memory cells, that can enter through the blood-brain barrier after activation and alteration of that BBB structure. So you have individual TLRs, and they will contribute to CNS disorders like the TLR4 and 2 interaction. And you also have consequences of multiple activated TLRs that may be cross-talking within the CNS. So what you need to look at then is how you get TLR activation in the CNS linked to injury and then leading to a specific disease state. So what you find is that the simultaneous stimulation of TLR4 and 2 TLR4 and 9, these are pairwise interactions, and TLR9 and 2 together, all in the microglia, all working pairwise, all with their respective ligands, which I've already covered, can result in an increase in inflammatory response. Now, that's, of course, compared to any TLR functioning individually. So when you get the activation also of TLR7, that acts to suppress the inflammatory response mediated by all those other TLRs that just brought up, 2, 4, and 9, for example. So you have a compositional effect of a pro-inflammatory signaling all involving these pattern recognition receptors working through the microglia. And the combination of all those TLRs have to be engaged fully for you to get the response that mediates the pro-inflammatory system, which can be linked to diseases like Parkinson's.